G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. And it's interesting because the vacation rental stuff doesn't, I hate to say that it because all the real estate books behind all the books behind here are mainly real estate books. It doesn't really fit in the model of, okay, I'm like the traditional number is like, I'm looking for a 10% cap. Sure it doesn't fit in that. And it's it like, I was, I was, we, we finally had a full year, um, July to July where the cabin was booked. I'm like, I, I was curious to see again with my background and my education in real estate too, have my real estate license, my MBA. I was like, let me, let me run my numbers through the cabin through, through the normal traditional cap rates, um, cash on cash return on investment and see what I got. And it's like, I got like a 25% cap rate for like the cap, the first cabin we did, which is insane. And then like my cash on cash was like 106%. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alex Jarbo. Alex is a marine vet and has been in the vacation rental management space for over four years now. He holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development and is currently finishing his doctorate in business with, again, a concentration in leadership 
and real estate. He's her host of the YouTube channel called Alex Build, where he details how anyone can build their own unique vacation rental portfolio. And in today's episode, we're going to go dive deep into the pros and cons of owning vacation rentals and how you as the listeners can get started in the industry today with the expertise of Alex. So I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with us. But enough out of me, let's get him out of here. G'day Alex, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, thanks Reed. Thanks for having me on. Mate, my pleasure. Um, before we get into the nuts and bolts, can you uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Yeah, no, that, that's a phenomenal question. So, I mean, I had a, I had a paper route like in, in middle school and like late elementary school, but when, when I think about like my first dollar I made, um, I think maybe I was like 11, 10 or 11. I remember my mom had this like little snow cone maker. It was like a little hand crank, like snow cone maker. And uh, I remember like she had brought it home and I was like, you know what, let's like uh, my younger sister, a couple years younger than me. I was like, let's just set up a table outside here, like in the community and just like, just sell snow cones. And I remember like we, we had sold so many snow cones that day that like the snow cone maker actually broke. Um, and I was like, let, let, I was like, let's go get another one and do this again, like tomorrow. And then I remember I'd borrowed like, $60 from my parents and a snow cone stand had turned into like this full blown, almost like mini shop on the side of the road. And I remember we made like, I don't remember, I think it was like $200 after like in, in like just in eight hours. And then I'd given like the $60 back to my parents that I'd like borrowed from them. And it's like, I was like, Oh, this is, this is pretty cool. Like at the time, like, like, like that was almost like as much as like my dad was making like at his normal job. I was like, just, um, yeah, that, that, so that was like the first time that was like my introduction to like scale. It's like went from like a snow cone stand to like just a full blown, like mini shop that sold like water bottles and chips and popsicles and snow cones, like on the side of the road. So yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's yeah. a, it's a very intriguing uh, upbringing. Did you grow up in the, the Asheville region? Cause I know that's what no, you're actually, I, so I grew up in, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan uh, seven mile in Woodward over there. And then my parents like moved out when I was about like nine or 10 to the suburbs of Detroit, about like 30 miles North of Detroit lived there till about, I was about like, we lived like uh, 20 miles North of Detroit up until, yeah, up until I was in high school. And then, um, then I joined the military from there. So Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of the military, what where, where did you join? How did you join it? And, and what what ultimately brought you into real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I I actually joined when I I joined the Marine Corps when I was seventeen. I had my parents sign off on. I couldn't even sign off on my papers. Um, and then I pushed out with a, a friend of mine. Um, it was like two weeks after uh, graduation. Um, I, yeah, and then. From there, I went to went through basic, went through infantry school right after that here in North Carolina. Um, and then I was selected to go to Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C. Um, so I was stationed in four years in Washington, D.C. where I was part of the Marine Corps Honor Guard there. Uh, super, super humbling experience. We had um, we were in charge of like all the Marine Corps funerals and stuff over there at Arlington Cemetery. Wow. By the time I was, yeah, by the time I was done, got out as a sergeant um, and I was fortunate enough to um, be in charge of the Marine Corps 21 gun salute team out there. Um, so like by the time we were, by the time I was done, I think we, I had done 350 funerals, wow. which is again, like a, a very humbling experience. Um, met a lot of really good people out there that I still keep in contact with, um, bounce ideas off of, um, 
Yeah. I mean, that was our job. We, our job was like partially like um, welcoming anyone who had like a, a dignitary or anything that would like come to the country and something. So like we were, we were at the white house maybe like five or six times a year. Um, and then we were at like um, the air force base a lot. Like when, say like when the Pope had come to the States or like, um, like any type of prince or anything that would come to the States. So we would do the funerals, we'd do that. And then that was, summer was usually like the busy time. And then winter we would go over to, um, we'd go over to Quantico and we'd do like, like brush up on our military training and stuff out there, like our infantry training. So it was a, it was a nice like mix of different stuff. And again, I, so it was a hand selected unit, top secret clearance. So like I, I was introduced to a, a lot of really good people out there. Hmm. And then the way I got into real estate um, was I had actually tried out for the Marine Corps special forces. I'd, I'd gotten through all the, the training, but I didn't get selected towards the end. I got out and then I, I sort of realized I wanted to get married. My girlfriend at the time was, um, we were we were dating for like, I think like five or six years at the time. And um, I, I sort of like, even I think it was like 21 or 22, I, I, I wanted to slow down. Um, I didn't want to sort of like have my wife uh, be a military wife, um, just because we had done the long distance. We didn't live together and everything. So we'd done the long distance thing for like five years. And then I just started after I didn't get selected for the special forces, I sort of just started reading real estate books and I um, joined a, uh, like a, a flipping mentorship, a, a really good one. Um, and that my mentor sort of helped me decide on where to go. Like I, I, I tried the DC market with flipping, but I mean, like being 22 at the time, I just couldn't afford like operating in that market. So we had, we had looked at a couple cities and he had, I think this is back in 2012, no, 2015. Um, I, I, we had looked at, uh, Asheville, um, and, uh, I showed it to my fiance at the time and she, she actually absolutely loved it. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's operate out of there. Did the flipping thing for a little bit, um, made some relatively good money in it. I just, I didn't enjoy the, I mean, it was like, you're, you're constant. If you stop, you like you, the money goes away. Like it, it was, it was that simple. Um, I'd gotten my real estate license during that time too. So we're, we're flipping and, um, I was helping some clients, uh, sell and purchase again. That, that was the same model. I, I liked it, but at the same time, it was like, if you stop the work, it, it, it completely stopped. And at the time it was like, I was, I was just saving money because I knew I wanted to do the vacation rental thing. Cause I saw a lot of agents helping other investors getting to it, but I just didn't have the money at the time. And then when we really started to look into purchasing, um, we just realized that everything was just like very expensive, very competitive, even, even back in 2016 and 17. Um, so yeah, we just decided to build our first cabin and it turned out to be an A-frame, um, found the builder and then, yeah one turned into four force turning into 18. So <laughs> that's incredible. And what is the, you know, talk to a little bit about how you got into vacation homes, because that's not something that someone on maybe, I don't know, at least on the West coast here would think, Oh, let's go to Asheville, North Carolina to, to vacation. And, and, and then how did you even stumble into that from, from flipping? Yeah. So I, I got super lucky again with that. That mentor did know that market a little bit. He had invest, he has, he has investments in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, which is about an hour away from here. And I wouldn't say Asheville at the time was starting to get big because it was already pretty big, like with what we're known for and stuff. He had some family who had lived here and he, he had just shown me some pictures of it. And I'd come down here when I was still in the military, just to check it out. Actually, I absolutely fell in love with it. I grew up in big cities my whole life. Like I lived in the DC area for four years and then uh, I lived in Detroit for most of my life. So I was used to a big city. I didn't want to move back into a big city. 
And Asheville is sort of like in the, in the middle of that where it's a small ish city, but it still has a relatively big downtown. Um, and I mean, just the, the landscape here is absolutely beautiful in the Blue Ridge mountains. Um, and it wasn't as expensive and it still as isn't as expensive as like the Gatlinburg pigeon forge area. Um, it's a, we were looking for a drive-in city as well. So like a city, we don't have a, like our airport has five gates. So it's like, we don't have a mate. We have a, a small regional airport. Um, a lot of people drive into the city, um, which is what we were looking for just cause like we can sort of go out, find cheaper land a little bit further out from the city and people are pretty fine with driving. So. Yeah, no, I've been to, I've been to Asheville a handful of times. I've got a good, good Aussie mate who's been on this podcast many times and who I've co-wrote the book with, uh, 10,000 miles of the American dream. Oh, Ross awesome. Robertson. Uh, he, he lives in there. He relocated from, from South, uh, Southern California. He, he thought Asheville was, was awesome. And I've, as I've been there a handful of times, got a great art scenes, very, uh, hippy dippy in terms of like yeah, the, 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 the alternative way of thinking. And it's, it's great. Uh, I, I said, I, I love it out there. It's, it does have a, it has a feel that it's growing and it's like, it, it's buzzing with a lot of energy. Um, yeah. And especially with, with what happened with the lockdown, I'm sure a lot of cities experience this, but um, so it, it might not be, obviously it's not specific to just Asheville, but a lot of people from like the bigger city, Charlotte, Raleigh, and even California, Florida, uh, New York, like ended up moving to here. Like a lot of, a lot of people who, who are permanently working remote now um, that they purchased uh, homes here where it's like, it just last year just got insanely competitive when it came to the housing market, like people putting in offers on houses that don't even walk through. It's just like, it's the market boom. It's under contract the same day. So. Yeah, no, it's yeah. incredible. But but now let's walk through the, the nuts and bolts of what you do in terms of vacation rentals. And, yeah. and can you walk through us how you go about assessing whether a certain area of of, of, an, of a market like Asheville? And I personally happen to know that my good friend Bryce, he does a few or had a few vacation home rentals in Asheville. And some of the laws around, you know, what you can and can't do because we, we're seeing – the vacation rental stuff here, even here in LA and New York city and San Francisco, like they're putting massive restrictions on it oh, absolutely. For, for, for people, you know, to, to, to not be able to do it, not be able to make some money. So how are you avoiding that? And then what are you doing to identify those pockets in, in your area that, that, that people want to actually come in vacation in? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, I started getting this question so much that um, I did a, um, I did a three part uh, series on YouTube where it's like over an hour of stuff of just getting super detailed into it. But the first thing we do is we don't, we don't, we don't purchase land in the city. We, we go on the outskirts of this, uh, of the city inside of the County in Asheville, they're not allowed. Vacation rentals are not allowed in the city. People still do it, but a lot of people are doing like going about it, like on the master lease where it's like, they're just renting and then re, if I'm putting my own money into it and if I'm taking investor money, I don't want to risk that in any way. Um, so we invest 20 to 25 minutes within the city. Our first cabin's 15 minutes within downtown. It's right on the edge. So what we do is what I do is I, I hop on the MLS. I sort of just pull up the city map and just like where the line is at. And we just look at the land right on the outskirts of the County. Um, another thing we do, we design all the cabins, to be rented as a long-term. So like we, mm-hmm. we underwrite them as a long-term rental. Like it, we're not just going to put a million, $2 million into a property that won't rent out at the current long-term rental rate. And that's sort of just a, a safety cushion for us. 
um, just in case the county decides to say, hey, like we're not doing vacation rentals anymore, which I don't really see happening just because it's, it is a big part of like, I mean, they, they do get a big tax revenue from it here. Like Airbnb automatically pulls that money out and gives it to um, the county. But that, that's our first thing is we only invest in the county. It's nice because what we saw with COVID is a lot of people did leave the downtown areas and sort of ventured out to uh, started renting out, say, like into like the mountains or like a little further out from the city and they're willing to drive into the city. So we were already investing that way anyways. Um, and so we sort of got lucky with that and we just sort of rolled with it now where it's like we, we again, we invest 15, 25 minutes away from downtown it's in the mountains, you're secluded, but at the same time, you're, you're close to the city where you can just drive. And um, so you get like best of both worlds. If you want the downtown feel, you can drive to it, but you're staying in the mountains uh, for, the mo- like for the most part. Um, that, so that's, so 15, 20 minutes away. And then again, we don't invest uh, with, inside uh, downtown. Sure. And, yeah. and how do you know, looking at an Airbnb site, you know, yeah. let's just, let's just use Airbnb that yeah. you're going to get a certain nightly average for your rental. I guess that's very much a part of understanding the due diligence of any market, whether it be, you know, Asheville or somewhere else around the Absolutely. country, even internationally, right. Is, is obviously one of the laws you want to keep, you know, make sure you're outside those jurisdictions and you can actually do what you want to do Two, I think I heard you say, you're underwriting it to a long-term rental, meaning if you've got a 12-month person in there, that's that's the worst case scenario. And then three, the third question now we're coming to is, how do you go and look at that nightly average for, for, for a rate? How much are you going to charge? And how much, how much how occupied will you be throughout the month? Any given right. month? We, we look at a, a company called AirDNA.co. They pull all of the Airbnb and VRBO numbers. I don't know how they actually get away with doing it, but they show all of the gross numbers. So the gross numbers shows with cleaning fee. So you sort of have to guess there. So it shows everything with the cleaning fee. And then it also doesn't account for uh, before like Airbnb takes their cut, like their three to three to whatever percent cut. So you have to sort of factor those numbers in, but we use AirDNA that gives us an average daily rate. AirDNA allows you to literally click into whatever, so like put in an address. So if you're considering a certain, um, if you're considering a certain address, a certain piece of land, um, you can put that address into AirDNA and it will give you like the properties around it. Asheville's interesting and Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge are also like this, like the mountain cities where it, it, it's not like, the, 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 the potential guest doesn't really know the area. So, I mean, I always recommend obviously like invest in a, a safer city, just like in long-term rental, but you can, so like, say like we're building two log cabins this year, you can compare log cabins that are 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from where you're considering on building and still charge about the same thing. So it, it, it's like, you're almost comparing structures. You're not really comparing like what say like yeah, five, right. 10 minutes away from you or, or like right next door or charging. Um, so AirDNA is a big one considering um, like looking into what you're like, what you're looking to build. If you, we develop some more, some more of the unique properties. So we, we sort of go on the conservative side um, just to make sure like, Hey, like, Oh, we were wrong here. Like it, it, it's not going to rent out that much. We underwrite at 70% occupancy for, we've never been below 95% for our cabins. Even with COVID we weren't below 95%, but we underwrite at 70%. The last vacation rental community that uh, I put together, we we our break even occupancy was thirty five percent. So that's sort of a number that we show investors is hey, like 
it only needs to be rented out like four and a half months out of the entire year. Asheville's nice because it's, we have a, a, a year round um, rental market. Obviously you have like summer's going to be busy. Leaf season's going to be busier like October, November, you can almost charge double. But we also have like the Biltmore estate here where like we have Biltmore uh, winter. Honestly, the our cabin that's like on the side of a mountain, it's prettier in the winter because you have like a 180 mountain view once all the leaves go away. Yeah, it's sorry. I went off on a tangent there. But the, our, our market here is, is year round. But yeah, we, we start with AirDNA. Um, we look at what we can get there. And then from there, um, we start looking at things like once we actually start looking at land, we start looking at obviously zoning. We look at access access is a big thing to make like we, we don't want our guests to be traveling like 20 minutes off of like a one-way gravel like a, a a single lane gravel road um like the the most recent uh, land we purchased in february that had like a double lane state maintained road that connected into the land but it was still like um it was sort of secluded a little bit that's that's very important to us especially now since we're we stepped away from doing the one or two cabins at a time to like take it on one investor to do like six to eight at a time. And with doing six cabins at a time, say like a total, like the, the one that we just finished um, putting together, like it's going to sleep a total of 34 people out of the six wow. cabins. So you got to think like that's 12 to 15 cars a day, plus your cleaning crew going up and down a road. Um, you need to make sure that when you're looking at it, that that's a big part of it is the access for your guests. Cause the first property we developed, it only has a, a single lane. It's a paved road, but we were only able to put like two or three cabins on the parcel because there, the traffic just would have been crazy. So. Right. No, no yeah. look, you bring up some really good points. I didn't even think about that. The access, because it sounds like you're buying in a little bit more, I'll, I'll say rural. It's not, Absolutely. It, it's not the inner city of like downtown LA or, you know, Beverly Hills or downtown Austin or right. Denver or something like that. So you, you, are, you are doing a little bit rural, but it's for those people who want that. You know, you talked about the seasons and, and people who will come and look at the, the, the leaf, I think you see the leaf change season, which sounds like a really interesting. I didn't know uh, that was tourist. a thing when I first moved here. Yeah. Leaf season. <laughs> leaf yeah, season you, try yeah. get, you try to get a normal hotel room here. It's like 300, $400 a night. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So I had, I had, I had doubled my prices in October just to just, just to see what would happen. And it fully booked up with doubling my prices. That's and I was crazy. like, oh, okay, that's, that's insane. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. But, but, but speaking about prices, how do you know, what's the rule of thumb from a valuation point of view? So you're going to go in and buy the dirt, put the land on. Let's just talk about a basic single family house. It's already built. Yes. What are, is there any rules of thumb that you can tell the, the listeners about an average daily rate needs to be here in comparison to your value? Have you, have you even gone into that type of metrics at, at all? And it's interesting because the vacation rental stuff doesn't, I hate to say that it because all the real estate books behind all the books behind here are mainly real estate books. 
it doesn't really fit in the model of, okay, I'm like the traditional number is like, I'm looking for a 10% cap. Sure. It doesn't fit in that. And it's it like, I was, I was, we, we finally had a full year, um, July to July where the cabin was booked. I'm like, I, I was curious to see again with my background and my education in real estate too, had my real estate license, my MBA. I was like, let me, let me run my numbers through the cabin, through, through the normal traditional cap rates, um, cash on cash return on investment and see what I got. And it's like, I got like a 25% cap rate for like the cap, the first wow. cabin we did, which is insane. And then like my cash on cash was like 106%. Wow. So it's like, it was, it was just like, it doesn't really fit in that number. So what I do is there, there's a couple metrics that I've read about that have helped me underwrite at six, 65 to 70% to be conservative uh, on the occupancy you want to go into air DNA or even you can go into Airbnb and see what everything is renting out. Um, if you don't want to pay for the air DNA, which is relatively cheap and then you can cancel at any time, but you can take the busiest time of the year. Say, look, look, look at it as like a weekly rate. We don't really charge our weekly rate. Like some people will book a week, but we, we do like one day bookings and everything too. Um, but take the, the, the busiest week and then out of the year, and then say, say if it books for $5,000 a week or something like that, or sorry, uh, $2,000 a week, multiply that over 15, 15 weeks, and then see if you can break even on that number. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, th that, that's one way of doing it. We've and, always- and, and we've, so we've, I was ask a few questions here. 15 meaning just because- 15 that's the, weeks. And, so take, that's, take, that's, take, that's take the, the busiest week, uh, right. take the busiest week um, that, that out of the calendar, say like you look at air DNA and see what yep. that would charge, multiply that over 15, uh, 15 weeks and 15 weeks is almost like your break even number is, is you want to be able to do that. That's one way of doing it. That's how I originally did it. Another way, a simpler way of doing it is honestly taking all of the weekends. And, uh, so like Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, taking that number, say if it rents for like $250 a day, multiplying that over three and then so like friday saturday sunday and then multiplying that over four so like the whole month yep. that can also be your break-even number like your weekends should be able to cover all of your bills for the rest of the month yep, yep. um and that one that one's another metric both of those metrics have held pretty firm for us like have worked out pretty well for us Yep. No, that's good. And that's great. And thank you for, for breaking that down. Maybe we could go into the expense side of it because people would also like to understand what are the expenses in a vacation rental? I know you mentioned cleaning earlier on, yeah. but, but, but what you obviously got your mortgage, but what other things are you, maybe you can list those out for, for the listeners? Yeah. And um, a lot of it is similar to the long-term rental side. Um, when you're, so like we're doing new construction. So we sort of have the luxury of not really worrying about maintenance the first four to six months for the most part. Obviously pests are a big one when it comes to like expenses that are specific to vacation rentals. We like to leave out like free popcorn and free snacks for the guests. We actually go over to Trader Joe's and get like a, a cheap, a good cheap bottle of wine that we leave out for the guests, like a five to $8 bottle. Um, that, that makes a world of a difference, especially if like we, we say if the cleaning crew like didn't do the best of job, which rarely happens with us. Um, but yeah, clean, cleaning, uh, cleaning is another big one. Um, I would say the cleaning crew is probably the most important part of your business when it comes to like scaling. Um, we don't handle our own uh, cleaning. We, we, we push that out to a, a, a company that specifically deals in vacation rentals. 
And then we just charge that the exact fee to the guest. So we don't take any of the cleaning fee. And then we sync our calendars with the cleaning, uh, cleaning company. So I don't, I don't have to talk to anyone when it comes to our calendars and stuff. So, and the, the cleaning crew is incredible because you, you want to find a cleaning crew that will like send you pictures of like damage. So like, say like um, my wife and I were recently in Mexico a couple of weeks ago and there was like minor damage that happened um, in the cabin. She sent me a picture and I sent it directly to Airbnb to just show them. Um, so it's like, that's, that's a good, a good thing to have. Um, and the, yeah, just the cleaning crew is probably the most important part. I don't want to handle the, um, that side of it currently. Um, maybe I will down the road, but yeah, cleaning crew, maintenance, just having like maybe a part-time maintenance person. Messaging um, is a big one. Um, we actually use um, a plugin that I had probably automates 75% of our messaging, um, and uh, which has been super helpful too. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great rundown of, of, of all the things that need to, to run this business successfully. But talk about the scale part of it. Like, are you trying to, what's, what's hamstringing you right now? Is it equity? Is it finding the deals? Are you trying to expand other markets? Like, look, what are you doing in order to help you scale the business? Yeah, that's a, that's a phenomenal question. Because I, I think about that all the time. And it changes. Like, as your business evolves, sometimes, like, the financing might might be a little bit more difficult. I would say right now, the, and w- the, the hardest part is I've sort of stuck to my guns of only taking on one investor per community. So I, I probably have, I probably take five or six calls a week when it comes to someone wanting to invest with us, but the, they're only looking to do one at a time or two at a time. And I'll, I'll probably, I, I push them off to like a, a real estate agent that can help them with that. And also a management company that can sort of take over the property for them. But I would say the biggest thing right now is, is finding investors to put up all, um, all like the initial capital to do six, six cabins. We're, we're not really the, we, we have a lender that, that is super vacation rental fr- uh, friendly called host financial that, that will do uh, debt service coverage ratios based off of projected Airbnb numbers, which is phenomenal. Um, so they'll, they'll go into air DNA and, um, do do the the uh, debt service coverage ratio um, off of the numbers that AirDNA shows them, which which is awesome because like trying to convince like a local credit union to try to do that, it, I've tried at least in this market and it, it there there's they it doesn't happen. So that's the, on the, the new the, development side. So yeah, but, but like uh, to answer your question, it's it's just finding the right investors to work with. Um, it's been really nice to sort of talk to investors that have done like mobile home parks, multi multifamily that are now interested in vacation rentals um, because they're a little bit op- they're, they They see, they, they see like the cash on cash, the cap rates, and they're a little bit more open to it. It's just finding the right investors to go, Hey, like I'm only doing six at a time. I'm only doing eight at a time right now. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like it, it's, it's going to be this much. And I understand that. Like for me to ask like, for a $400,000 initial investment from someone I've never met before. Um, that, 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 that might be a, like a, a pretty big ask, but yeah, that, that's been the, that's been the, the biggest thing slowing us down is just that piece is sort of, we're not looking into syndicating right now. We're taking on like five or 10 investors for one community. Um, it's more like a joint venture deal, a deal per. So that, that's been the biggest thing. It's just that. And what about the financing? You mentioned that briefly. What, who are you going to for, who would you go to for an existing property? Like for, again, for the listeners out there who are looking to get involved, you're doing the development, you're doing you know, brand new houses, which yeah. is 
own a more advanced strategy in the vacation rental space. But if you're just going to go out and buy one of these things, it's not your primary residence. What are you, who are you going to? What, 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 what people, what banks will, will actually say, Hey, yeah. fund this. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, host financial, um, is the, the one we use for development, but they started and they, they originally started with just doing uh, normal vacation rentals. Um, they don't have even, you can go to them and show them a home that you're looking to purchase that doesn't have a rental history and they'll still lend on it because they'll, they'll do their own underwriting on it. Um, so yeah, host financial, another really cool strategy, um, is a lot of people who don't live in the market that they're investing in will do just do a second, just do a second home loan on like a vacation home loan. Um, and they'll just, they'll just delegate the management to a, a local, uh, vacation rental management company. That's a very popular, um, thing that I, a lot of investors that I talk to, I sort of push them towards, um, that area. Cause a lot of, I, I mean, you can just Google that, um, just like a, a bank that does a second home loan. Um, and you can get some pretty good terms if you're, if you're looking to like get some pretty, uh, high debt, like I've seen like lenders do 85 to 90 percent like on wow. on that. So you're only putting 10 percent down on a cabin. The hard part is just finding it. It's just finding a home that you're not overpaying for. So, right. No, that, that's interesting. And and I assume you'd have all your systems set up to find those homes right now. And, and is that maybe part of the reason or the outcome of this hot market that you having to go down the path of development? Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so what, what we saw was, um, like I said in the beginning, a lot of people moved to the city. So um, you, you're, you have a beautiful home on, with a beautiful mountain view, but the person that's working remotely, relatively good salary, they want that home too to live in. And they, they are, what I saw is they're going to pay more for that home because they're not going to be renting out. They're not really looking at anything. They just, they want to, they want to live in it. You have people like, I know you're in the California market or you live there. It's like purchasing a $1.5, $2 million home in California is pretty normal here. That's the, you're in the luxury market here. Um, so the, those numbers, uh, like we, that, yeah, we, that, that's the competition is what caused us to shift into the development um, side. And we just had more control over it. You had mentioned like, what's the difference between like a long-term rental and like a, a vacation rental. Like we, we were able, like with, with designing a vacation rental, um, we, we can, we can design them to the specs of a vacation rental. We can include a made closet. We can in, include stuff like, um, we can imp- include stuff that's like specific to vacation rentals, um, when we're developing these cabins as well. So. Awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, we're coming to the end of the show here. Um, but before we get into the top five investing tips, uh, what do you got planned for the next five years with the business? Where do you want it to go? I want to do 18 next year. We, we already have uh, the plans for 12. That's going to happen. I'm looking to get to 50 cabins in the next, I guess, couple of years now. That was, that was sort of like my 10 year goal. And then once I started doing the YouTube channel and people started approaching me, I was like, Oh, it's, it's, and I found the right lender. Um, I was like, okay, it's, it's definitely possible to scale this. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of where I'm looking to take it. Um, we would like to get into other markets right now, but I'm pretty confident with developing unique cabins that we can get to like the, the 40 to 50 cabins in, in this market. Um, I'd love to get into the Gatlinburg uh, Pigeon Forge market. It, that, that one's a little bit more saturated right now. Like a lot of people are going in that area. I love the Nashville market. Um, Nashville's a little strict on the vacation rentals, but it's got a, a pretty rich culture there too. So, Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff, yeah. man. Well, I, I wish you all the best of luck. But at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Yeah, I would say the biggest one, man, is um, the the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Um, that's that's been a, I've been doing that since I was like 19 years old. 
Um, that's been a that's been a game changer, and I'm super looking. I've never seen him speak live. Uh, the Bigger Pockets Conference that's hopefully still happening in New Orleans. Um, he's going to be speaking there, so I'm super excited to see him live. But yeah, the Miracle Morning. Um, I recently started doing like the Wim Hof method with the yep. meditation and the Miracle Morning. Um, that one's been kicking my butt, but it's it's been that's been helpful too. Mate, I, I do Wim Hof every single morning. It's, That's it's awesome, fantastic. It's, the breathing yeah. is incredible. I'm actually, just to reflect back, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a surfer. And so holding, learning to hold your breath for, for longer periods of time is, is really, really important. So uh, Yeah, when I, when I was in the Marine Corps with the Special Forces stuff, like when you do like the drown proofing stuff, mm-hmm. like diving into like 16 foot pools and stuff, um, I, did, I did that sort of a little bit. We were, we were doing the Wim Hof method without knowing what it was. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say miracle morning and Wim Hof are the two right now. Awesome. Awesome. Question number two is who's been the most uh, influential person in your career to date? Yeah. So I would say actually that that person comes recently. Um, Paul Moore from Wellings Capital. Yes. And I pull very well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Paul's got one of the biggest hearts I like out of anyone I've ever met. Um, we, we sort of have a weird, uh, so he, He's originally from Michigan in the area that I sort of grew up in. Um, he, uh, I got my MBA and my doctorate from Liberty University, and he lives like right, like in the same. He lives in Lynchburg, Virginia now. Um, his his book, The Perfect Investment, uh, sort of talks about. Uh, they did a case study. I've read like a hundred real estate books, and Asheville's never been mentioned in top, even in the top fifty list. Um, and that book had done a case study on Asheville. And I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Like we have like so much weird things in common. Um, and he had sort of just take, taken me under his wing recently um, and introduced me to some people. And he's just got a phenomenal heart. He's very knowledgeable. He's a go-getter. Um, and yeah, I would say Paul Moore. Yeah. I know Paul, for, I've been known Paul now for over five years and he's, he's a personal friend of mine and you're right, he's got a heart of gold and, and he's just always willing to help out others and he's, he wrote an incredible book as you just mentioned. So for those people listening to the show, definitely if you're interested in reading that book, get your hands on it, uh, The Perfect Investment by, by, by Paul Moore. Uh, question number three is, what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or, or a journal or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? And that's another recent one. Uh, that's a, a phenomenal question. We recently found a company called StayFi. And what StayFi is, is like, imagine when you go into an airport, a gym, you have to check into the Wi-Fi to use it, put your email address in. Um, that There's a company out there that does that specifically for vacation rentals. Now, super cheap. It's like $6 a month. The, the, the equipment costs like $100, but um, it email captures everyone's email address in the, the, the vacation rental. And then we remarket to them off of that. So um, what you, you had asked me earlier, like what my goal is with my business, um, it's, it's to specifically come off of Airbnb and VRBO and be exclusively like direct bookings, um, especially with like Airbnb and VRBO recently raised their fees. Like I probably get an email at least once a day um, or a message at least like once a day about like my prices being too high because of the service fee that we can't control. Um, so I've recently found out that sort of taking them off of the Airbnb platform eventually. So they'll book with Airbnb, we get their email, and then we remarket to them to our own website, um, which we're building right now. So that's been the biggest tool is that, is uh, StayFi. Um, awesome. Yeah. Never, heard, never heard of it, but it sounds like an incredible thing to capture those. Get, keep building that list, baby. Building, and building a list, and you're, you're getting paid to build that list. Like they're staying with you. You're not, your marketing's already there. Airbnb's already doing the, the hard stuff for you, so... Awesome. 
Awesome stuff. Question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure you've, le- you've had in your career and what did you learn from that failure? Oh, wow. So I had joined the Marine Corps wanting to be a, I've never spoken about this either. I had joined the Marine Corps, wanted to do the special forces. Once I didn't get, like I trained four years for that. And then two years prior to that, the, the biggest failure was not getting selected for the special forces, but if I would have been selected for the special forces, we would have been talking right now. Um, so it, it's definitely, that was probably my biggest failure was like something I prepped for six years for that didn't end up happening. And the way the Marine Corps special forces is you cannot go through the training again to try out again. Um, Cause they do a whole bunch of like mental stuff. That's like, like you, you they want to see how you react to stuff that you're not used to. So the, the biggest, the, my biggest failure was not getting selected for that, but it also, I would have never gotten into vacation rentals um, if, if it wasn't for that, because that's when I started picking up real estate books. So my biggest failure is the reason why I'm here today doing, doing this. And I was actually writing about it last night to myself. I was like, man, that, that, that my biggest failure turned into like my biggest blessing. So. That's awesome, man. That's such an incredible, yeah. high, uh, you know, self-awareness to look back and say that point or that, that particular point in your career and life helped you lead you down another path, which has been even more fruitful for you and maybe able to create, you know, financial freedom for you and your family. So I hope anyone who's like listening, like is like going through a crappy failure right now, like that it's probably like if, if, if you play it right, it'll, it'll probably branch into something way bigger than you ever imagined, which is yeah. where I'm at right now. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Final question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah. So, uh, Alex builds, uh, is honestly, uh, if, if you guys have any questions, um, when it comes to the YouTube stuff, like I, 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 I any questions I get, I turn into a YouTube video, um, just to sort of just uh, redirect people. Um, it's, it's Alex builds. Um, if you, if you guys are having trouble finding, cause there are a lot of Alex builds out there. It's a little like, uh, the logo is a little blue treehouse. Um, you guys can also email me, um, at my personal email. It's, uh, Alex builds channel at gmail.com. So A L E X, uh, B U I L D S, uh, channel C H A N N E L at gmail.com. And I'll, I'll answer any questions there. If you guys want to leave some questions in the comments and usually on there pretty frequently. So awesome, dude. Well, look, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things I took away. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting to hear how the vacation rental space is changing. Knowing from a personal point of view, I've been going to Asheville. I've seen my buddies, Bryce's, you know, places and, and just understanding the numbers behind it. But you, you mentioned 25% cap rates. It's just incredible. And Crazy. Uh, there, there, there are opportunities out there and you're not in the downtown core. You're, you're out in the sticks, you know, when people are still yeah. wanting to come out and, and do that. So I, I think that was a really big takeaway for me. Uh, I think like little things like the stay fi are so important, but also talking about like airdna.co, like they, they are, that's things that you can go on today and look for real time data. If, if the listeners out there, want to go out and start looking at deals. So really, really incredible stuff. Did, uh, did I leave anything out? No, that was it. Um, I would just say uh, when it comes to uh, assessing property or even assessing markets, investing in mountain in mountain markets are easier than beach markets because usually when you're investing in a beach market, like you're going to be paying to be close to the beach. Here, when you're in the mountains, you have multiple mountains that you can build on. Um, it, it's going to be cheaper uh, in my, from what I've seen to build in a mountain community or a mountain city compared to a beach city. Um, and then just understanding that like 
people will pay for a mountain view. Um, you can't take the view away. If uh, I looked at like the, I didn't live here during the 2008, 2009, uh, you can, like the, the crash, um, but prices stayed relatively in place in this market. Um, and I think it was because of the landscape, but it's a, it's a beautiful landscape. People flock to here. And I mean, even the, the COVID thing sort of proved that even more. It's just uh, investing in unique markets like mountain, like with views and landscape markets, um, but also like uh, building unique properties that people are going to like almost like Instagrammable properties, if that makes sense. So Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, mate, again, thank you so much for the for your time. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Awesome. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode of Jam Pack with some incredible advice from Alex. If you do want to reach out to him, remember it's alexbuildschannel at gmail.com. Definitely check him out. He's got a, he's a wealth of knowledge in the vacation rental space. And I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And if you're interested in investing in, with me in my portfolio, remember to head over to reedgoosens.com and click on the invest with Reed button and sign up for my newsletter so you can get exclusive listings of deals that I'm currently raising capital on and you can invest alongside of me in my multifamily portfolio. We're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.